You're listening to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. Here are your hosts, Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry. I am Sands Jeff Griffin this week. We are in Paris doing an all-girls week this week. I'm here with my little mini-me. We've been traipsing around Paris, having a marvelous time, and I happen to have a special guest with me this week to co-host the show, Donnie Bilo. She's here. She actually runs a website called Girls Guide to Paris, which happened to just fit really nicely with what we want to do. Donnie helped us find some marvelous things to do while we were here in Paris, and we want to talk about some of those classic Paris experiences. Donnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. So Donnie, before we get started on today's show, today's show we do have a lot to cover. We're going to talk about Paris fashion. We're going to talk with Chef Alex from Cooking with Class, and we are going to talk with the American Friends of the Museum Day or say. But tell us a little bit, why is Paris the number one destination in the world? Good question, and and one that I've actually talked about a lot. It's interesting because the last couple of years, Paris and London have been buying it out, and I'm chalking it all to the Olympics. Um, so 2012, London won as the most visited destination, um, and that oh, was right. really an anomaly. It was only an anomaly, and of course, uh, Paris was back last year, uh, and I'm sure they will be this year as well. It's been number one destination in the world for 20-plus years for a really long time, and I will give you my answer, and then I think probably slightly more reasonable uh, answer. But for me, and, and I think a lot of women, um, it's about, Paris is about beauty. It's a sexy destination. It's romantic. It's also perfect for a girl's trip. There's incredible luxury available to you. There's also amazing history. In general, Paris has branded itself perfectly, especially for women, but for everybody. Um, and it's kind of a perfect mix between leisure, history, shopping, romance, and food is a big driving factor, of course. Like Italy, but Paris is, of course, known for a really sophisticated and, you know, for a long time, been considered the most important cuisine in the world. And they have served every great chef that they had to learn French. And now I think, you know, probably Japanese is probably just as complex and other Asian foods that we've discovered over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. But it's been a long-time brand that has sold really well, if you want to look at it that way. And it's, you know, it was the cultural capital of the world from the 1800s to, you know, one could argue up to World War II. You know, it was the destination for artists. And it was the language you learned uh, if you were from another country. It was the first language you learned. Now, you know, English has surpassed that, and some say maybe Chinese is next. But another point that I wanted to make was, it's interesting, because I was looking, into this a little bit, but this year, according to TripAdvisor, Istanbul emerged as the top destination in terms of just where people want to go. I thought that was really fascinating, and they edged out Paris. So I don't know. Obviously, that's actually not where people are going. Where they're actually going is Paris. And something like 32 million visitors last year in 2013, which is up like 8% over the last year. So it's not going anywhere. It is the hottest, most happening, most exciting, uh, apparently, to most of the world place to go. And if you haven't been, reserve now. That's what I'd say. And I was going to say, who just doesn't want to say, I'm going to Paris? There's something about that. And I'm just back from Paris, or I got that yes, in Paris. Exactly, oh, good. Exactly. Well, coming up next, Donnie and I are going to talk to you about prepping for your trip and some practical tips when you go to Paris. We will be right back. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at TravelBrigade.com. 
Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry, and I have Donnie Bilo here with me this week doing a girl's trip to Paris. Again, Donnie has a website called Girl's Guide to Paris, everything that you can imagine about girl, sort of the girl end of going to Paris. And one of the things that's kind of interesting is I'm here again with my mini-me hanging around Paris. It's her first time. And you can come here with your girlfriends. You can come here alone. You can come here with your mother's daughter. There is this sort of attraction in and of itself for women to come to Paris. And just talking a little bit about that, tell us, Donnie, about what would you do in sort of preparing for your trip, some practical tips, maybe some do's and don'ts, Oh, my gosh. We, we write about this a lot on Girls' Guide to Paris. And do check out the website when you have a chance, uh, especially uh, I'm going to try and put some of these tips and some of the things that I've said today with you up on our Twitter feed and Facebook. I mean, it's obviously the same name, except for Twitter is Girls' Guide Paris. So you leave out the two. But in terms of packing, um, we actually put together a whole packing guide that you get if you buy um, our go-kart or our magazine, which you can learn about more on the site. Some of my top personal tips are these. I love to have a big scarf, preferably cashmere, and somewhat heavy for the plane because they always air condition the heck out of it. <laughs> and even if it's in the middle of the summer, you've got to have that wrap. And their little blanket they give you, even if you're in first class, I don't think it's enough. Converter is a must-have. And you'd be surprised how many people forget that. And, you know, it, it takes just some, you know, it's, it's probably easiest just to order it on- online. But if you're coming from the UK or sort of anywhere, you need that now that we have to charge so many devices, it's critical. Also, I like a little book or just my iPhone to, to write down or to use the speaker phone and, and, you know, write voice notes down when I get inspired because I go over, you know, a whole lot and we have a place there. Uh, as I'm walking around, I'm always saying, oh, look at that store. And I, I, it's hard to remember everything. And, mm-hmm. um, and also because when you're traveling, you get inspired and you feel, come up with great ideas. So a little way to take notes. And then some obvious things like don't take small irons or hair dryers because those don't have uh, the ability to convert and they will fry. Um, that's a little thing that a lot of people don't know. This is probably the most important thing on the list, a map and a really good one because if you're staying at a hotel, they usually give you these little cheap um, giveaway maps and they don't have half the streets on them and you will get lost. It's a very kind of crazy Byzantine system of streets. So there's a one that I like called Paris Par Arrondissement and I will also throw that up on Twitter feed, but it's a hard cover, or you can also get a paperback, and you can order that ahead of time, or you can just go into a bookstore that's nearby your hotel or apartment rental and grab that, because it's really key to have these two little pages where the whole arrondissement is spelled out so you don't get lost. Of course, you can get an app for your phone, too, and make sure if you get a downloadable map that it is, you know, offline so you're not going online using up all your um, minutes and getting a $700 bill when you get home, which actually happened to me once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how you learn to do the right thing, right? I actually left one of those little booklets here in the apartment. I stayed in an apartment part of the time in a hotel part of the time, but it is, there's these little streets that just you can't really find and it is that none of them are straight or square so it is really helpful. Donnie tell us a little bit about maybe just touch on some of the best hotels and maybe sort of a quick overview of the different areas. Some people don't know what arrondissement means. Maybe yeah. kind of touch on that. A couple of things and I think this is kind of romantic uh, thing about Paris is that there's 20 arrondissements or we can call them you know areas departments or you know neighborhoods but they call them arrondissements 
arrondissement, and each one has their own mayor, believe it or not, and their own little mairie, which is the, the town hall where the mayor lives, which is just crazy. There's way too much government. And then they start in the middle. They roll out like an escargot. So it's completely the opposite of, say, New York or cities that are all kind of on a grid pattern. So it goes around in a circle, and so the higher ones are further out of the center. And I think the one biggest mistake a lot of people make when they come to Paris is they go, just stay in the center. And, you know, if you have three days, then that's understandable. You just want to see the big sites. But I'd say venture out into some of the other arrondissements. There's so many interesting things to find and explore, like the Canal Saint-Martin. I don't know if you had a chance to go there this week, but it is one of my favorite areas. That's the tent. Um, and it's just so charming and very artsy and bohemian and very cool, very hip. Um, also true of the second. And um, that's really in, in the middle of town, but it doesn't have as many big, huge monuments. So a lot of people don't end up there, but it's just, and that's where I think you stayed at the beginning of the weekend yes. at the Hotel Edgar. Yes, I did. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the hotels. What are some of the best sort of known hotels that you want to stay at when you're here in Paris? I would say our website is dedicated to sort of searching out the lesser known, the lesser obvious places. Now, people who've been to Paris one or two times, they know about the Four Seasons, the Georges Saint, they know about, they've heard of the Ritz, it's really famous, and mm-hmm. they, you know, and then they may think about staying at a, actually had to stop someone from staying at a, you know, a big brand name type hotel that is from the States. Well, certainly I suggest you come to our website because I've actually handpicked all the hotels that we have and visited them, which is really important because a lot of times your travel agent will, you know, suggest something and it's really about they, they're getting the best percentage from them. So I was going to say, you go to a travel it. agent and you're hearing the words Marriott Holiday Inn Weston. Oh. <laughs> and that's the last, the last thing that you want to do is right. stay at one of those. Not to say that there's not some good choices in some of those big brands, but what I like, I'll give you my picks. I love the place that, that I sent you called the Edgar Hotel. Yes. This is a new place. Very, it's not for everybody. It is for someone who's artsy, who likes something really hip, really trendy, really cool. And he's had uh, someone design, one of his friends basically um, design each one of the rooms. So yes, they're each all room different. Is completely they're, different. Yeah, they're great. Right, right. And, and that's also affordable, and it's in the middle of town. There's another affordable place called Le Citizen, and that's right on the Canal Saint Martin. Very hip, very minimalist, quite different than the Edgar, um, but also very affordable affordable under 200 euros. Now, if you want to step up a little bit in the four-star category, La Maison de Champs-Élysées is, and you can find all these on our website, is a really, really spectacular hotel near the Champs-Élysées, obviously, and was designed by Maison Martin Margiela, the designer. So it's just completely completely unique and innovative and I would request one of the Martin Margiela rooms because they're much more interesting than the other ones. But they're a partner of ours. All three of those that I mentioned are. And then if you want to hop up to five star, um, these people are not a partner, but I really think that the Shangri-La is one of the most interesting places to stay. It's not in the center of town, but it has got the most drop-dead gorgeous view of the Eiffel Tower you have ever seen. And it was a mansion that was built for the cousin, Napoleon III, and they took like, I don't know, four years, it's uh, the Shangri-La team from uh, China to renovate it. It's just, they did such incredible 
incredibly beautiful job. And if you can't afford to stay there, which I can't, you should just at least have a drink because it is it's just stunning. And then my I probably my all around favorite pick and a place that everybody that I've sent there loves is the boutique hotel in the sixth called Hotel Recamier, and that's R-E-C-A-M-I-E-R, and I'll, I'll try and tweet these out too. But and I it love is, the six. It's my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, all every American loves the six. I don't know what it's like. We we all love the six. And then, you know, the people from the U.K. say on the right bank, the Asians say in the first. It's so funny how, like, everybody's got their particular area. But the Hotel Recamier is right on the South of Peace, so it overlooks the historic church and the fountains. And it's especially if you can get a room that over, you know, the one with a view of the fountains is just incredible. And the decor, it's just, to me, it's just sort of this great mix of very posh, chic kind of French look, but it also feels very homey. It's not too modern, which I think a lot of these boutique hotels have gotten so modern. You know, they've lost any kind of feeling homey and, and sweet, you know. So there's amazing hotels in Paris, and, and there's then there's tons of them, but those are just a few. Next up, we're going to talk about some Paris fashion. Of course, you cannot come to Paris without, you know, wanting to know the classic Paris trends. Next up, we have an interview. Oh, yes. I'm so excited that, that they were able to do it. It's uh, our friends Abby and Jean from Mondetile, which is a really, really interesting online French fashion website. Yep. We'll be talking with them up next. We'll be right back. the Travel Brigade? Tweet them at Travel Brigade. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. We've been doing a girls' trip to Paris this week, talking about some of the classic things that you do here in Paris, especially when you're with the girls. And one of those things that you cannot, cannot get by with is not doing some shopping while you're here in Paris, learning about some classic Paris trends, some things to look for. Paris is always on the front runner of all the cool things that there are to do with fashion trends. I have some great friends here on the phone today, Abby Sanders and Jen. I hope I said that correctly, from a site called Mondifile. They are here work in the fashion industry, and we just were going to have a chat with them today a little bit about some of the things that you can look for when you're looking for classic Paris trends and maybe some designers to watch this year. Welcome to the show. We've been thinking about what defines classic Parisian trends, obviously, as a part of what we do at Mondefile and taking on new designers, and there seem to be three kind of definitive looks or trends that define Parisian fashion, Um, one of which is the androgynous look as defined by Yves Saint Laurent, which is sort of more traditionally the le smoking image, which has become so iconic for uh, for Paris and for haute couture fashion in, mm-hmm. in the city. The second is the more ultra-feminine look, which is slightly more traditional. Um, it was introduced by Dior for the new look, which uh, involves the kinched waist look and the skirts with the very exaggerated volumes. And this began to represent the decadence of post-war fashion. Um, and that really came to define Paris in the in the post-war era. Finally, and more recently, um, it's probably the more laid-back look 
the last few decades have seen the popularity of designers such as Isabel Marron uh, reaching epic proportions in the United States and Asia and Europe. So we feel like it's probably more the laid-back, sophisticated look that defines Parisian fashion. I was going to say, Abby, one thing that you forgot to mention that I can't imagine being in Paris without red lipstick. Of course, and the Christian Louboutin heels. <laughs> That's correct. You know, I think the red lipstick per capita here has got to be, you know, pretty high. And, you know, it's a beautiful red lipstick, I have to say, that seems to kind of go with whatever look that you have. And I think that's just Parisians always just look so put together. and They don't fall to that, you know, I have to admit I'm a California girl and wearing a set of flip-flops sometimes and hanging out in beach clothes is really sort of like my ultimate trend, which is kind of sad when you come to a place like this because you feel you feel like and it doesn't look overdone it just looks so natural the way Parisians sort of put their look together yeah a lot of people say from a beauty perspective it's no eye makeup red lipstick kind of messy hair slightly messy clothes very high heels and that is what most people seem to think is synonymous with Parisian fashion well tell us a little bit about you know trends for this year 2014 you know some trends that you're seeing what things people should be looking out for Okay, so there are bigger Parisian designers, obviously, than others, but uh, predominantly what we have seen at Paris Fashion Week for this year is shirt dresses by day, usually worn slightly oversized, which has been seen on the Balenciaga catwalk. By night, it's more metallic dresses, uh, more bodycon silhouettes which was seen at Saint Laurent. From a footwear perspective, which is quite new for Paris, but we're moving away from the heel and towards more flat slides and sandals, mm-hmm. um, which was seen specifically at Celine. But of course, Christian Louboutin heels will always be popular in Paris. <laughs> exactly. And the color palette is quite, it's either warms or neutrals. So reds and pinks or whites and golds seems to be the predominant color palette. For this season. I'm staying in the sixth here and I just went to a glove shop that makes all these gloves from scratch and I picked up myself a nice pair of red leather gloves and I thought why not? <laughs> I'm <lovely>. in Paris. <laughs> yes of course. Yeah that's particularly Parisian this season. <laughs> well great um, we're going to talk with Jen as well uh, a little bit about some designers to watch and Jen welcome to the show as well. Tell us a little bit about some of the designers to watch and a little bit about your website. There, there are lots of designers to watch, but uh, as we're working with young designers at Mont Défilé, we, uh, we actually are collaborating today with uh, the winners of one of the biggest uh, awards in France for young fashion designers, uh, which happened to be a couple months ago at uh, the Dinar Fashion Festival. Uh, so those two designers are called Laetitia Baquet and Victor Moulinier, and uh, their collection combines modern sportswear and traditional embroidery techniques and we're actually today working together with them and collaborating on a new uh, little collection that will be commercialized and sold exclusively on mondefile.com in a few months. Uh, So I think we should definitely look at uh, those two designers. We also are collaborating with uh, jewelry designers and uh, such as Isabelle Michel and uh, another French designer called Godard Paris who creates some ready-to-wear pieces. Um, these two designers are becoming more and more popular in the French media and um, 
and they've been given a lot of attention by national magazines. So uh, we're really happy to work with them, and I think those those two designers should be followed as well. Regarding our website, maybe uh, just to give you some idea on what we do more precisely, so we are an uh, online editing company for fashion designers in France, but uh, we we worked with I would say 90% of our designers are authentic French-based for now, but we've also worked with some international designers. The the aim is really to be the first uh, retailer and manufacturer for emerging and undiscovered designers. Uh, so each month we do a select of these new designers and um, we elaborate together with them some exclusive pieces that are going to be sold on the website and produced on demand and sent to the customers wherever they are in the world. So it can be in France, but can be uh, anywhere in the U.S. or in England or anywhere in Europe. No, that's great. And then that was kind of bringing me to my next question, which is that let's say you're here visiting France and Paris, particular, sorry, and that you want some help about where to go with trends or places to shop or maybe places that have personal shoppers, like a place that somebody that may not have that sort of natural touch can come here to Paris and maybe get some sort of guidance in that area. Well, there's lots of places to uh, to visit for shopping in Paris, for sure. A lot of them are very well-known, like uh, little independent fashion boutiques in Le Marais or, uh, you know, larger department stores like Berry Lafayette and Trimpel. Uh But then I would advise if you, if you really want to look for the very trendy places, first we have a blog in English on Monday today which advises a lot of nice places to go to um, and then there are other websites that are really specialized on identifying the key, um, place, trendy places uh, I'm, I'm thinking about one of uh, one website with which we collaborate a lot which is called My Little Paris and, and then I would say with those two you should, you should be good to go Excellent. Thank you, ladies, for spending so much time with me today and explaining that to our audience. I really appreciate it. And can you give people your website and contact information in case they want to look up your stuff or order some of the hot trends and fashions? Yes, for sure. So the website is called Mon Défilé, and the uh, website address is www.mondefile.com. Perfect. We will be right back. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at TravelBrigade.com. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. As we just talked about in our last interview, one of the main things you have to have in Paris is some red lipstick. We talked a lot about that as well, some great fashion. And Donnie was actually telling me about this really great thing that you can do, a VIP shopping experience. Going to tell us a little bit about that, Donnie? Oh, I'd love to. We actually have this thing called the Go Card that we sell on our website. And think of it as like a Paris discount card, but it's more than that. You, you also get access to really super cool VIP things that I have negotiated with various partners of ours. And you get invites and... Um, you get um, our walking tours and so forth. The fun thing, if you do buy our Go card, and they only give this exclusively to us, is Gallery Lafayette, which is obviously one of the more famous department stores in the world, but certainly um, the, one of the most famous in Paris, is this is huge and um, can be overwhelming, but really terrific place to go to get every anything that you want, from wine to fashion to jewelry to shoes to everything. And 
they give us or give our members access to a VIP shopping room. You get to go and sit in this lovely room. They bring you tea or champagne and you set this up ahead of time and you it's all on our website how to do it. It's only open up to members, but the perks are this. You get, you get the room, you get a VIP personal shopper who will go through the entire store and actually there's two huge, you know, city block buildings. So that's why it's really helpful. <laughs> and you're saying, you know, if perhaps you and your daughter uh, want to go and you're looking for some dresses for a formal occasion that she has, and for you, you'd just like to have a, a new look. And you can give them the budget and say, this is what I'm looking for. And they will pull all the things for you. So you sit down and sort of like shopping, you know, feet super VIP, like probably how the queen or, you know, the princess <laughs> shop, you sit there and they show you and they've got it all hung up. So it's like your own little personal store. It is just, it's incredible. It's such an incredible way to shop and it takes all the hassle and all the pain and anxiety out of it. And, you know, they will, of course, run out and get different sizes and you're going to give all of this to them ahead of time. And then once you decide what you want, they give you 10% off. And then once and true for shopping anywhere in Paris, once you spend over 170 euros, you get all the VAT off. So that's their value-added tax, which can be 13 to 14%. Yeah. So you figure yeah. that's 25% off. And if you're spending, you know, 500 or even 1,000 euros, that's a significant amount of money. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've had this wonderful experience and you've saved money at the same time, which is my idea of kind of why I started this card is that it's I want VIP service for less. Exactly. Basically, I don't want to pay the huge prices, and it's possible. That kind of brings us to our next topic, which is whether or not you go to the VIP shopping and get your sizes before or after you eat in Paris, because that actually can change <laughs> your sizes a lot. And I wanted to talk Definitely to shop before. Yes, <laughs> yes. But I wanted to say, you know, talk, I mean, obviously Paris is known for the food. There's lots of great food here, whether it's the Pont Chocolat down the street or historic classic bistros. But tell us the difference between like a bistro and, you know, like a cafe. Kind of help us out with the difference of that. And then uh, maybe kind of like the perfect place to find a pastry or a macaroon. Then we're going to go into a great interview with Chef Alex from Cooking with Class, which we're actually going to talk about making your own macaroons in a little bit. So tell me a little bit, one by one, of those things I just threw out at you. Paris, you know, I love the fashion, I love the history, I love the beauty, but I go for the food like everyone else. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is, it's definitely the number one reason to get on the plane. And the other thing that to keep in mind when you're going and tasting your chocolate and tasting your macaron and going to all these amazing restaurants, you're walking all over Paris. Paris is a walking town and I almost always lose weight. So don't get too stressed out. And of course, vacation is not the time to be watching your calories. <laughs> um, and so that's number one. Number two, you know, the, and this is kind of an important thing to know and understand uh, about France in general. They're quite particular about their, the names of things. So a bistro is, and because we kind of interchange these things in the U.S. and we don't really, I never really appreciated the difference until I really started delving into the culture a little bit more. But a bistro is a, usually a family run, somewhat informal restaurant with kind of homey food. Uh, a brasserie is typically a, a place 
that serves beer on tap and also is open quite late. Sometimes there's even 24-hour brasseries. They came over from the Alsatians back in the 1800s, and they were really, really casual, affordable places for workers to go and get filled up on sauerkraut and, you know, wieners and sort of, you know, German food, really. Right. And um, so a brasserie will have a German influence to it. Cafe is the kind of place that's open all hours of the day, and you can go in for coffee in the morning. You can sit for hours and hours and hours on one coffee. They don't push you out of restaurants in, in France, which is fabulous. I love that. Mm. And, you know, so you could have three euros and you have a place to sort of people watch all day and maybe get on the internet or whatever. And um, a restaurant is a real dining establishment, and they have set hours. Usually lunch is 12 to 3 or even 2.30, and you cannot miss those hours. They will not serve you. A proper restaurant will not serve you at 3.30 for lunch, and then, and then they'll have 7 to 10 or 11 at night. Uh, and some some of the restaurants don't even open till 8 because people do dine later there. So it's just important to know because when you go to a cafe and everybody says, oh, everything is so good, our food is so fabulous all over Paris, it's not true. Just like any other place, you know, a cafe is meant for coffee or maybe a little coque monsieur or coque madame, but nothing, don't be ordering anything like serious at a cafe <laughs> because they're not known for their food. Right. You know, it's fine. It's a, it's a quick stop. It's, it's basically a diner. Perfect. So, yeah, it's important to know those differences so you know what you're, where you need to, to go to spend the money and do the, you know, and what to order, really. Well, I want to talk about French pastries and particularly macaroon, which is what you would say. I don't know. That's not even the correct way to say it, but you say macaroon or how do you, how is the French? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it is kind of one of those really difficult French words to say. And it's important to know that a macaron, a French macaron is different than a macaroon, a macaroon. Macaroon is what we know, you know, the coconut cookie. Right. It's kind of spongy and it's wonderful. I love, you know, American macaroons. And I also, uh, and, you know, the, not only the French, but the whole world seems to have gone macaron crazy. I don't know what happened. And it was always sort of a French thing. And then all of a sudden, it's just, you know, there's a place here in New York that's a lot of places in New York to sell them. But um, my favorite, the pastry place that's famous for macaron and who invented macaron is La Durée. Yeah. And La Durée, yeah, is on the, in the Madeleine area and they've got uh, two other locations and they actually have a location now in, in New York and they're in Tokyo, all over the place. And it's a beautiful, wonderful London, place to go. But yeah. I, yes, London, I prefer Pierre Hermé. Which um, I went to and today. He, <laughs> did you? Yes. And did you try some? I did. They were delicious. Ugh. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because we went on Johnny's website. They have actually walking tours and we went went on the chocolate and pastry walking tour. Yes, folks, you can actually walk on a tour and stop and pretty much eat chocolates, pastries, and macarons the whole time, which, you know, is not a bad gig, let me just tell you. It's in a great part of I town. I know, right? Yes. It's in a great part of town in the sixth, again, my favorite place. It's very close to the apartment that we were staying in and the hotels that I've stayed in in this area. And you literally, it's just this great little map where it like takes you to some of the best, you know, the finest chocolates, the finest pastries. And I did notice that when we went today that the texture is, I've had Laudre many times, which, you know, I love them, but the texture was mm -hmm. was different and the fillings were different. It, mm -hmm. They were very different and quite good, I have to say. 
Well, that's, I think, why I like them. But there's a big controversy in Paris. And, you know, every Parisian has their, uh, you know, they prefer La Dorée. One, you know, it's like it's like the Mets and the Yankees, you know. I right. mean, there's a big controversy, a big rivalry, shall we say, between them. But my favorite is the rose. And it literally tastes like you're eating a rose. And yes. it's it's spongy in the middle, and they are—they're a little chewier than the Ladere yeah. macaron. And oh, the flavors! I mean, there's a green tea. There's oh, he's just so creative. I think he's a genius, Pierre Renee. Yeah. And everything you have there, you may have to stand in line for half an hour to get in, but it is worth it. It is. You know, we just, you don't need, once you've had pastry in France, it, it just kind of no point in having it I agree. anywhere else. I agree. <laughs> I will never order a pawn chocolate in the States again. Hey, that brings yeah. me to our next <laughs> interview. We went to this great class where you learn how to make macarons, and we met with Chef Alex. He's a great chef that's there that works with Cooking with Class. We're going to talk about that. Not only do they have, like, they have that class, they have French pastry classes, they have this great market market tour where you go out to the local market, pick things up and uh, make some delicious French cuisine. So we're going to have that interview right up next and we'll be right back. You're going to get a little hungry when you're traveling the globe. Whether it be fine dining, a regional specialty or a small local street cart, you gotta eat. Next up, you gotta eat. Mmm, good. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry. Sam's Jeff Griffin. We are doing an all-girls week here in Paris. And one of the things you have to do in Paris is eat. And, of course, there's restaurants, but a lot of things that people are interested in is actually the local market and perhaps learning how to do some local cuisine, some cooking. So we ran into this wonderful place called Cooking with Class, and actually here we're going to do a macaroon. That's the English version of that word. I'm going to have Chef Alex actually pronounce it a little better in French. But one of the things we already did with Chef Alex this morning is took a beautiful walk in the markets, the local fresh markets. It was great listening to him to talk about the different food that you can get here and how you know that it's fresh. And they actually do this class and they they actually take the produce there from the class that they get at the market and then come back here and do authentic cooking with you. It's really great. So Chef Alex, tell us a little bit about the market first of all and then we'll talk a little bit about what you can do with the things that you purchase at the market. Well, uh, the class took place right in the 18th district which is in the city of Montmartre. We're in uh, the northern part of the church, the Sacré-Cœur, close to a uh, market street called the Rue du Poteau. Now, Rue du Poteau is a very classic and historical area for the 18th. If you think food, if you think fresh, if you think great quality produce and meat and cheese, you go to Rue du Poteau. So we're very lucky to have the school so close by. Uh, what we do, the idea is we meet the students at the market. Um, we take them on a tour. We go to the fish supplier. We go to the meat supplier. We go get vegetables. We get cheese. And with that, we construct a four-course French classic seasonal menu uh, with an appetizer, main course, cheese, and a dessert, only mainly by the choice of what the students want and what's available in the season. And we bring it back to the school, and we uh, prepare it all together from start to finish. When we were sitting there uh, walking around, tell us a little bit about the different you know, places where you can buy meat, how you know that it's fresh, also different types of things that you can get here in the markets. The, what I start with, because what I'm classically trained in is meat. We start with the meat. In the area, you can find about five or six other butcher shops, but we go to one called uh, Pinot, where it's a family-owned shop. The guy has had the place for over 20 years, a uh, very, very nice gentleman. He runs it with his wife. He goes to the market himself out there in Rangis, which is very close to Orly Airport, and he handpicks the cows and the veals and the chickens and the lambs and everything that he's going to buy, handpicks it himself twice a week, 
and has it delivered sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes on a few day basis uh, into his store there in the 18th. So uh, amazing, amazing quality. If you walk into the store, you can see in a mile away how beautiful the color is, how pink the veal is, how red the beef is. Very incredibly, incredibly fresh, fresh stuff. Also, the best thing I think about him is that on site he has a rotisserie. So this tells me there's an outlet of cooking, which means that there's nothing to waste. Uh, everything gets moved in and out. Uh, even on a weekend, they might sell upwards of 400, 500 chickens just inside the rotisserie. This tells me that nothing is being wasted. Things are very heavily recycled, extremely, extremely fresh. We were going to talk a little bit about eating the fruits here and just how amazing the flavors are. They actually taste like the actual fruits. They don't just look pretty like they do sometimes in the U.S. We'll see a big red strawberry and we'll take a bite, but it won't have that taste as some of the fruit does here. You're 100% right. Uh, France is one of the best cultures I've ever experienced that has six to the seasons. Uh, for example, right now we have uh, these strawberries, amazing strawberries coming in Pultain called Garriquettes. The Garriquettes strawberries are some of the best things. It's actually a wild form of strawberry, only grown in Brittany, only grown this time of the year. Well, unfortunately, it's been very cold in Paris, but it's been great for the strawberries. So you see these beautiful, torpedo, amazingly citrusy smelling strawberries that are some of the best things you've ever had. Also, the best thing about being in Paris, the, we're next to the biggest wholesale market in the world, you can get fresh Peruvian uh, uh, mangoes. You can also get Mexican avocados. You can get things from Spain, things from Scandinavia, things from all over the world. Uh, even translating to the fish, I've seen fresh Alaskan halibut at our market. I've seen uh, wild Baltic salmon. I've seen Japanese tuna. You see everything, everything, everything all over uh, in Paris. And um, the one thing that French people know and the one thing that they're going to really want every single day is fresh quality product. And that's what we are really lucky to find in our markets. And we just went to a bakery. As a matter of fact, um, we're standing here with a bakery bag in front of us, which I can't pay attention to the interview because we want to dive into our fresh bakery product. But tell us a little bit about the bakers here, particularly this baker that's been in a little tiny market that's been around for many, many years. The baker, his name is Silva, a really good friend of mine, really extremely nice guy. Uh, he runs the place with his wife and only a smaller team of the wife's cousin and two other different helpers. The guy gets up every day at midnight, one o'clock, depending on how busy it is, and he hand makes all of the bread. A lot of people in France, it's very easy to think of bread as a science. So they have machines and temperature and humidity and monitors and everything and refrigerators at exact temperatures and everything's climate controlled. For me, this is one of the last guys I've seen in France and in Paris who still does everything by hand, still does everything by eye. He weighs nothing and he's working in an oven that's over 140 years old. It's literally older than the Sacré-Cœur. So a really, really cool item, an antique oven. Uh, only two exist like that in Paris. One is from Poilin, which is one of the most uh, well-known uh, bakeries in, in Paris. And the other one is definitely from Silva, over here in the 18th district. So give us an example for patrons that are wanting to access the market tour and then coming to cook. Give us an example of maybe what you would be cooking after you go to the market. Cool. Um, I'll tell you what I did yesterday. Um, the clients wanted to do duck. So what we did was we buy some maigret canard, some uh, duck breasts from the southwest of France. Um, then the next decision they wanted, uh, they wanted to do sweets. So of course we did a classic duck à l'orange. We added a little bit of saffron to make it nice and cool uh, and some turnips as well. So then for the fish, uh, I always ask my fishmonger what is the freshest thing that came in this morning. Um, and what he had that day was turbo. So we had taken the turbo. Um, I like to cut steaks right into the turbo. And we did it with creamy leeks. And um, we also did it with a little bit of a clam and chorizo sauce. Then we had cheese, five different cheeses, some from the mountains, some from around Paris, some from the Loire Valley, some from the north of France. And then for dessert, chocolate's a killer. Everyone wants to do chocolate. So uh, they twisted my arm and I made chocolate souffle with raspberry sauce. I made about 300 of those. 
300,000 of those, and um, they want to do them all the time. So we made chocolate souffle yesterday. I don't really see any reason to leave this place. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, dinner, market across the street. Chef Alex will help you cook everything. No reason to leave. We're actually going to take a macaroon class. And again, I'm sure I'm saying that the very Americano way. But the macaroon class, which is a classic French dessert, we're going to be doing that today. So tell us a little bit about what we're going to be doing and why the macaroon has become such a classic French dessert. The American macaroons are the ones with uh, coconut, the hard ones that we've always had when we were kids. The ones that are French are called macarons. Not to mess with your accent, no worries. <laughs> Um, I, I call them a dessert hamburger. I don't know that's the worst way to say about it, but uh, it is a, a cookie made from a meringue. Uh, you fold into the meringue uh, powdered sugar and almond meal in a certain fashion. Uh, then the cookies need to be dried. A shell needs to be formed on top of them. We bake them at a certain temperature, uh, and then we make a filling. The interesting thing is, is the cookie is the same base for the most part for all the different colors. We just add different colors on the outside to represent what the flavor on the inside is. And in the class, what we do is teach you how to make a classic standard recipe that's weighed to the gram, that's cooked to exact temperature for exact amount of time for an exact size of a macaroon. Then we're going to teach you three different kinds of fillings. Normally always a fruit filling, an exotic filling, and a, either a caramel butter, salted caramel filling, or even a chocolate filling, depending on what the chef feels like that day and depending on what's uh, good in the season. So it does take three hours to do these macaroons in our class, uh, but you are able to pipe and handle everything yourself. You learn by hands-on. Um, you pipe, you fill, you bake, you make, you do everything on, with your own hands. And then we open our own bakery shop and move to Paris. Well, actually, uh, several people have gone to Dubai and other next to the woods and have opened up macaroon shops from our recipe. And we're waiting for our royalties, by the way. <laughs> Excellent. We're on our way. We're really excited to be here at Cooking with Class. We'll be doing that today here, all up here in the Montmartre area. Tell us about some of the other classes that you have here at Cooking with Class. Not to uh, toot our own horn, but um, we are all a staff of professional chefs, so not only can we do what's on the menu, we can do a lot of private classes as well. The main one is the market one, like you talked about. The second is really close behind is the uh, macaroon, also with the French desserts, where we do five classic French desserts, like a creme brulee, chocolate souffle, and uh, madeleine cookies, and so on, and normally a seasonal tart. Uh, what else do we do? We do croissant uh, as well. We teach you how to make five different, four different uh, pastries with croissant dough. We also do French bread classes, baguettes, fougas, and brioche bread. Uh, we do seasonal classes like foie gras classes. We do, uh, I also teach a chocolate class where we teach you how to temper four or five pounds of chocolate, making different bonbons, and even ending up with a chocolate sculpture. Uh, what else? Christmas classes. Valentine's Day classes, Easter classes, every, every, every kind of thing that we do. Like I said, no reason to leave. Chef Alex, tell us where people can get information about Cooking with Class, a website, Facebook, information where people can book. Hashtag Cooking with Class. So you can go to www.cookingwithclass.com. That's uh, C-O-O-K-N, Cooking with Class. And uh, we're all over Facebook. We're all over Instagram. We're all over Twitter and all that. So uh, please, please, please come check out the website. One class that I did forget to mention was a uh, cheese and wine class. We get to pair French cheeses and French wines and go over uh, regions and how we make cheese and the history of cheese and wine and how we make the wine with our in-house sommelier. Excellent. We're actually down in the uh, cellar right now. We're going to be popping open a couple of bottles before the macaroon class, so that might not mix well, but we're going to try and do it anyway. Hey, thanks for uh, having us here today. We will be right back. Not sure where to go, what to do, and where to sleep? Up next, hot hotels, unique activities, and top attractions in our destination city. Check it out.
Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry. I am here with Donnie Below. We are here discussing beautiful Paris, but not just that, but a girl's guide to Paris, which is actually Donnie's website, Girls Guide to Paris. I am here with my mini-me on her first trip to Paris, having a great time. And one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is maybe something you want to do on your first night there in Paris, something to kind of ease you into Paris. And then we want to talk a little bit about maybe best ways to and some of the best ways to do some of the top attractions while you're here in Paris because of course you can't come to Paris and not go to the Eiffel Tower etc etc so Donnie give us an example you were telling me that one of your favorite things to do is to kind of like walk to Notre Dame and go over the bridges when you first get in to kind of ease your way here into the city yeah you know I have a place there I go all the time but my best advice there's two things that I love to recommend number one and it's actually really touristy and people give me a reaction when I first say this because my website's all about not doing things in the obvious touristy way, but <laughs> I love the Segway tour of Paris. Oh, uh-huh. um, I love it. So much fun, especially if you have a kid, or I guess it's 12 and over, or even I did a whole, with a whole bunch of older, you know, sort of middle-aged women. We had the best time because for the very first day, you get on the Segway and you can go all around the sort of the central sites of Paris and it gives you this great lay of the land. And that's one of our partners on our website, but of course, there's the guy who started the Segway tour started it in Paris, and it's just it, it's just because it's a little difficult to walk around and see everything uh, in the beginning because it's, it's somewhat exhausting. But if you don't want to do that and you just prefer to walk, which it is a walking city, let's face it, I suggest starting on the islands and going to Notre Dame first. I love Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Oh, I love it too. And I definitely am sick of all the standard, you know, sightseeing sites that, you know, kind of seen and done all those many times. But Notre Dame always draws me. And it's 800 years old. And it's got an incredible, and I'm not at all, I consider myself a traditionally religious person, but I, you get a sense of history in that building like none other. And of course, you can just go in and it's free. You may have to stand in line for a few minutes, but it goes fast and I always try and light a candle for someone, you know, in Notre Dame, which is like a one euro. And then of course, outside of Notre Dame, in the back, um, you walk along the Seine through the gardens in the back of Notre Dame. That little park is just magnificent. I and love then that little park. That's the first time I actually went to the back of that little park. I thought it was very sweet. Isn't it just yeah. so... And because Notre Dame is as impressive from behind as it is from the front. And then there's two bridges you can go to from there. You can take a left and you can go to Ile Saint-Louis, or you can take a right and go over the lock bridge, which is somewhat controversial now because the people put these love locks on and they, you know, they're kind of weighing down these bridges now. So that's a whole nother show. But um, then you can <laughs> just walk, you can take a right straight to my other favorite place, which is Shakespeare and Company. And it brings oh, yeah. you to, did you have a chance to go there? I don't know if you had a chance to I, go there, I actually didn't, yeah we didn't go this week but I've gone a couple of times since I've been here and we've had our book stamped while we were there book purchases and it's oh. a really sweet little place it really is. And it's just like this eclectic bookstore that has an incredible history. There's a number of books written about it. And um, it's just, it's the kind of bookstore just you don't see anywhere else in the world or anywhere anymore because it's so unique. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you could write, well, there have been a lot of books written about it, but it's as charming as it, as it possibly could be. And it kind of takes you back to that moment, you know, in the 20s when all the writers were there. And, and actually the woman who originally owned it discovered James Joyce and sold, you know, his books and pubs 
helped actually printed Ulysses out of Shakespeare and Company. So it's another type of history. Of course, Notre Dame is 800 years old, and this is only like, you know, it's within this last century, but still, it, it just brings you to another incredible moment in Paris. Well, and you know, that just takes us to, you know, again, talking about these top attractions. You don't come to Paris and not go to the Eiffel Tower or not do some of these things. And I think I actually didn't even go on the Eiffel Tower for the first two times that I came here because I just mm-hmm. didn't want to deal with the lines. I didn't want to deal with what's going yeah. on there. And so one of the things we did was went to a company called Easy Pass Tours, and they actually do quite a few different tours, but they do these skip the line tours, which are quite great. I mean, they do the skip the line tour to the Eiffel Tower. You meet off campus, off the Eiffel Tower. You meet there. You get your tickets there. You're basically escorted straight onto the tower. They do a fairly quick overview of the tower, so you do get some information that you may not have. And then you're kind of left on your own to go up to the, you know, top if you like or kind of do what you'd like. But I mean, as far as access, it's really a, a great way to do that. And I noticed that they also do some other tours with the Skip the Line, like Versailles and some other things where you're not having to, I mean, you, I've been there before where the lines to the Eiffel Tower were just hours to get in. And it just it makes the experience not very fun. Yeah, it's true. And I, I really recommend them. We're, they're part of our go-card experience, too. And uh, I think they've done a real service for people, visitors uh, to Paris, because not in the middle of January, but April to November timeframe, which is the high season in Paris, you will run into huge lines at the Musée d'Orsay, at the Eiffel Tower, at uh, even the Pompidou, depending on what's showing, and Versailles. You know, it's really, it's really it kind of ruins your day if, you, if you've had a schlep out there and, you know, you, you're waiting for a couple of hours in line and it, it, it'll cost you a little bit, maybe 40 year and their, their tour of their size a little bit more. But they do a behind the scenes VIP tour so you get to see Marie Antoinette's apartment and all kinds of rooms that the general public doesn't get to see. So making these sites a little bit more friendly to visitors, I think, is a great way to go. You know, people may just get their one chance at Paris and people dream about it for certainly women dream about it for, you know, half their lives before they get there, you want to make sure you do it right. And, you know, I was going to tell you one other tour that we did, you know, one thing that I told my little mini-me when we got here is that we are not getting on any hop-on, hop-off bus, you know, like, you'll see these people going around, but that's not what we're doing. <laughs> and I do know that, it's, you know, people are a little leery about maybe using the metro or whatever, but it's so, it's such an accessible city. I mean, you really can get anywhere. But one of the things we did is we ran into a place called Twizzy Tour, and these little twizzy Twizzy cars, they're smaller than a smart car. You literally have like a person in the front and a person in the back seat. And you actually drive the streets of Paris. And yes, you have to be a little brave to do it. But the great thing is that there's two sort of safety nets you have. One is that each one of the little Twizzy cars, it's an electric car. There are several different tours. They have them during the day and then they also have them in the evening. It's got a GPS right there in the card and you, whatever tour you're going on, the GPS is set to tour number one, two, three, whatever it is. And it literally takes you to all these locations. And we did a two hour tour all around Paris and we basically hit all of the highlights in the evening of all of the great places 
places in Paris. And we made it back just in time to see one of the Eiffel Tower light up. So it was quite great. They have tours that you can do that include like Montmartre. They have, you know, places that are a little bit harder to access by foot sometimes. And it basically just kind of went around, took you to the Louvre, to the Pompidou, took you to the Grand Palaces. It took you up the Champs-Élysées. I actually, I actually did make one missed turn because they try and have you avoid the Arc de Triomphe because of the circle traffic. <laughs> Crazy traffic. Exactly. But I actually missed the turn and realized that it was a little too late. So I actually kind of did a little roundabout there, which is kind of a fun little experience. But it was really fun. And Twizy Tour, we'll have this along with all of these places that we're talking about. Donnie's website, Easy Pass Tours, Twizy Tour, all these. We have a hot sheet for today's show that will be on our website as well for today's show. When you brought up the waiting in lines, also including the Louvre and the Orsay, we're going to talk a little bit about that because there are passes, like you said, easy passes to get into the cut the lines and some of those. But we did something really fun at the Louvre. I've been to the Louvre a couple of times. The Louvre, as you know, is the second largest museum in the world. And I mean, I'm hearing things that you could literally go 10 seconds at each piece and it would be like three weeks to get through everything. So it's such a huge thing. And to sort of go in there and and figure out like what you want to do or what you want to see. We did this really great thing that Donnie had recommended. And it's actually a Louvre scavenger hunt. I love that you did that. I'm just so happy. And I, I also think it's a great way. This is a gal that I met and her name is Daisy, which is as cute as it could possibly be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's she cute, created by the way. this idea. Yeah. And it's just such a great idea. And she has, she has scavenger hunts now, not only at the Louvre, but a whole bunch of different places and even outside in neighborhoods. And it's a great way, especially with kids, to sort of get them interested in a museum and kind of make it into a game. But how, how did you like it? How did your daughter like it? It was really fun. And we met with Daisy, actually. And then you actually can do these scavenger hunts with other groups of people that are in town. So you kind of have this like little contest. And you go in, and again, for somebody who hasn't been in the Louvre, like, of course you want to see the Mona Lisa, of course you want to see some of the highlights, but it includes those, and you kind of just, there's this little scoring sheet, so every time you find something, or every time there's a little extra something, like, you know, counting the number of dogs in a picture, we went to this one picture where, you know, she was having us count the number of dogs in the picture, so it is kind of a little fun, sort of interactive experience, because even just walking in the Louvre, you know, and then just getting to one piece is like just to find the Mona Lisa it's like a 20 minute ordeal you know like to once you're actually in there to try and find where she is and then that's the one thing that's a little disenchanting is that you know the Mona Lisa is there but everybody wants to see it and you know it's behind glass and all this stuff but this kind of just brings out the fun in sort of the museum itself and um, she has a website called thatloo.com and that's where she does it and I also wanted to mention that she also does tickets directly through her that even though she does the scavenger hunt like if you want to purchase a kind of a skip the line ticket through her you can get them as well so that's another place to kind of oh, that's great. access that yeah I love that I think it's a great idea and it makes the Louvre accessible and I think that it's been you know obviously the most it's the most famous museum but Paris is full of museums there's just so many museums there's it's just incredible how many museums and I happen to like the two my two favorites are the smaller ones so the Rodin the Musée Rodin like Rodin right. the sculptor um, 
Um, I don't know if you guys have been there. That I is have just been so there. Beautiful. Yeah, that is pretty. Yeah, I like the amazing. garden. And the Picasso is set to finally reopen in September. And I'm that's what I heard. That yeah, that's great. Well, I have to say, my favorite is the Orsay. And coming up next, we are actually talking with Verbena Sort, and she's the executive director of a place that I didn't even know existed: the American Friends of the Musée d'Orsay. And it's actually a kind of a group of people of Americans who kind of help fundraise and help with the Orsay. But we're going to have that interview coming up next. We'll be right back. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at TravelBrigade.com. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. I am here in Paris doing a girls-only trip this week, and I happen to be in one of my favorite places here in Paris. I've been waiting all week to go. I am here at the Orsay. It is such a beautiful, not just the architecture, but I just love all the artists, the paintings inside. It's such a beautiful place. And I happen to be here with an organization that I didn't know anything about before I came here. And it is the American Friends of the Museum d'Orsay. And I am here with the executive director, Verbena Thornton, and her assistant, Christina. And they are taking us around this beautiful museum. I'm getting kind of a different aspect than I normally do. this is a great thing, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Orsay. Tell me, Rubina, why the Orsay is such a popular museum. I've always believed that the Orsay is so beloved by French people, of course, but also from, by people all over the world because it is intimately and intricately linked to the creation of modern Paris. Uh, we cover about 1848 to the very early uh, 20th century, 1905, in the collection. And that is a time that Paris experienced dramatic changes. Maybe the world experienced dramatic changes, but uh, Baron Haussmann in Paris was changing the looks of Paris. Uh, Under Napoleon III, 25 years of construction, of building uh, new apartments, those beautiful four-story buildings, and um, changing the looks of Paris. At the same time, writers like Proust and Baudelaire were in Paris. Painters came here. People from all over the world to be part of something that there was almost a departure from the old world into something new and different. And uh, of course, the Impressionists uh, that movement that we came to understand as Impressionists was a very important uh, part, uh, part of it. These were uh, people who were not, as much of what is new, were not immediately accepted because it was an enormous departure from the way art was perceived and art was, uh, art was done. And uh, the museum, this is what uh, the museum um, is about. It is such a beautiful structure. Tell us a little bit about the structure itself here at the museum. This was a a train station connecting Paris and Orléans, uh, built with new materials, built with a new design, built with uh, belly pox splendor. And um, after a two-year renovation that was finished about three years ago, uh, we call it the New Orsay, Le Nouvel Orsay. Uh, We're trying to recapture that uh, that splendor and also reproducing it in uh, in the colors. The president, Guy Cocheval, believes that Impressionist painting should not be shown on white walls. So uh, the deep burgundies, the dark uh, olive green of 
some of the original structures you find all over uh, the new uh, museum. Galleries have been grouped by, uh, by theme, uh, by period, by time. There are uh, about four exhibitions every year, um, two in the spring and two in the fall, that are usually attracting up to 500,000, 450 to 500,000 people. And our organization has, for every new exhibition, there is a private tour for our members. When the museum is closed um, with one of the curators, which is an enormous and wonderful privilege we uh, enjoy because a museum uh, that is closed, you can step up to the paintings, you can look around. It is growing in popularity and we offer that to our members and, uh, and their guests. Tell us a little bit about the organization American Friends for the Musée d'Orsay, and a little bit you were telling me about how many Americans actually come to the Orsay and visit. Yes, the um, Americans are the largest group right behind the French. Twelve percent of visitors at the uh, Orsay and the Sister Museum, the Orangerie, come here every year. In numbers, that's about 400 to 450,000 uh, people, and uh, the guests that uh, we show around, that we welcome from all over the United States that come through association, that comes through membership, express their joy of being here in Paris and also to be uh, at this museum, which is clearly a great uh, favorite. Our organization started about um, four, not quite four years ago, and um, incorporated in November of uh, 2010, and uh, we had our founding gala and great open with about 300 people in September of 2011. Since then, we have steadily grown. Our board has changed. Uh, our chair couple, Peter and Susan Solomon, uh, live in New York, come to Paris regularly, and um, we have been growing in membership, in uh, publicity, inviting our guests, members and guests, also to our events. We are here to find, to support the museum for cultural exchange, but uh, to encourage works of art and to find funds to support the museum. We have already given a pair of Hotter Brothers shares. We've supported English versions of exhibition catalogues. We have um, helped with the restoration of the Statue of Liberty that you find uh, in the entrance inside. And um, we do that through membership, corporate and private donations, uh, as I said, gifts of art and events. We have about uh, at least one major dinner around uh, one of the exhibitions the private dinner, a private tour at the museum, at one of the spaces uh, in the museum, sometimes extend uh, our visits also to, uh, to other uh, historic art sites of interest in the arts in, in Paris. Uh, Christina, I have a question. You know, we have a lot of people in the audience that may have never been to a museum of the stature, first of all, and maybe feel a little intimidated by not knowing what artists they might find. Tell us a little bit about some of the really famous artists that are here and why their art is so accessible. Well, the, uh, the Musée d'Orsay is, of course, the Impressionist Museum. So you find here all of the big Impressionists of Paris by the, by the time of the 19th century, which starts at 1844 and goes until the First World War. So this is the time the Musée d'Orsay covers, and that um, implements also the greatest artists of the Impressionist uh, movement that was a very democratic movement, and that was the first time that painters, that they started to paint whatever they wished to paint, what they saw in their environment, and 
that they wanted to reflect modern Paris in their pictures. So, for example, you can find the Millet, you can find the early beginnings of Impressionist art with uh, Rosa Bonheur, but it goes then also to the peak of Impressionists with uh, Monet, with Manet, with Frédéric Basile, with uh, Cézanne. Then uh, there's also a Van Gogh wing. There's at the moment we have this um, huge and amazing uh, Van Gogh uh, and Artaud exhibition. And uh, then it goes uh, further to also the post-Impressionists, um, which, which include also uh, Bonnard, Maurice Denis. So there's a lot to see here. Tell us a little bit about membership, how people can find out about the organization, how they can join, how they can participate. People can contact us over our website, www.aforsay.org. Uh, we're always happy to, to hear from you. And uh, please navigate our website. Events are on there, events around Paris, uh, everything about the Orsay, our newsletter, pictures of former events. And um, we're very happy to, uh, to welcome you here. So please do come. You're also invited to uh, all of our uh, patron pass tours. You can sign up as a guest without joining. Membership has different categories starting uh, for uh, young patrons at $200 for a one-year membership. Everything is in dollars and uh, because we are a public non-profit, uh, so um, every donation, uh, every membership donation is tax-deductible. So membership goes from 250 uh, for a friend membership to corporate memberships at $20,000 um, and above and everything in between. So please refer to our website uh, for that information. And we use the funds uh, to support uh, the Orsay, as I said before, it's supporting exhibitions, uh, encouraging I mean, the gifts of art. We've tried to donate money for acquisitions or for uh, exhibitions, for catalogs that are somehow relevant uh, to America. For example, the uh, purchase of the Hurt Brothers shares, 19th century um, woodworkers and uh, carpenters, designers uh, in, from New York. Great. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I've just barely begun my visit here today. I'm so excited to be spending this day here, and we will be right back. Questions or comments for the Travel Brigade? Tweet them at Travel Brigade. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. Again, just talking about the Orsay. It's my very, very favorite place. I love just hanging out in the fifth floor and, and just seeing all this beautiful, beautiful artwork. I just, I love it. It's one of the things, all of the highlights we've been talking about in Paris, one of the things that my little mini-me liked the best was wanting to take pictures the entire time. Her with the Eiffel Tower, her with something else. And you really just can't spend your whole week doing selfies, right? Because... <laughs> It's just not the same. And we actually hooked up with this really great girl. Her name is Crystal Kenny, and she owns a company called Romantic Portraits Paris. And she actually does photo shoots around Paris 
around these iconic places like the Eiffel Tower. That's Donnie, how we actually got to the back part of the Garden of Notre Dame because that's where she took us to take photos. And we went to a little cafe right by your apartment and had like did little sips of espresso and took pictures and then went, you know, near the waterways and the bridges. It was such a fun experience. And then we, of course, went over to the Eiffel Tower and did some in the garden, some across the street in the carousel, getting the Eiffel Tower in the background. And it was just one of those experiences I think had to, between making macaroons, a macaroon air, I'll never be able to say it correctly, and taking (laughs) these pictures around Paris, just have these iconic shots of this amazing trip. I mean, here you've kind of like saved your money, saved your time, and to have something this amazing to like take it back with you, I I just, it was one of the highlights of the trip. I actually taped a quick interview with Crystal just because I wanted her to talk a little bit about what she does. So we're going to do that interview. And then as soon as we come back, Donnie and I are going to talk about our top things to do in Paris. We'll be right back. You're listening to Travel Brigade with Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin. You can follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and check out their website at TravelBrigade.com. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry. I am Sam's Jeff Griffin. This week we are doing an all-girls week here in Paris. And one of the things that everyone wants to do while they're in Paris is go around and take pictures of themselves under beautiful, beautiful churches, under the iconic Eiffel Tower. And how can you do that just with your selfies? You want to do it right. So I actually worked with a wonderful girl named Crystal Kenny. She took us around town. She knows all the hot spots took some great photos of us. They are so beautiful. They came out great. I just was looking at them. Crystal, tell us a little bit about what you do. Basically, I work from people all around the world, and I take them on little mini tours of Paris, showing them iconic and classic streets and monuments, and I want you to have the ultimate souvenir to remember your trip. So instead of asking a stranger to take your photo or one of you who is not in the photo, you have me to take beautiful professional photos of you in front of your favorite places in Paris. That's actually funny. One of the comments I had posted, one of our pictures, and one of the comments was, that couldn't possibly have been a passerbyer that took that picture. (laughs) No, no, it was from Crystal from Romantic Portraits Paris. And I keep wanting to mix that name up, but they have right. It's on my Twitter page. And we will also put her contact on the hot sheet. Tell us a little bit about maybe some of the packages that you offer, because I think we have listeners from all angles that might want to do just a quick single shot versus, you know, maybe something at several locations. Tell us what you do with that. Well, I offer three different packages. Package one is a 30-minute package for one location. So you just want the Eiffel Tower, you just want the Louvre, or you want a cafe. Um, that's perfect for that. And then I have package two, which is actually an hour where we can do two locations, maybe the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre or other something else, whatever you'd like. And then package three is two hours, and that gives us plenty of time to explore both classic and iconic Paris, where we go to like the San Louis Island and show you some of the little cafes. And then we also make it to the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and some of the bridges and along the Seine. So it just depends on how much time you have and what exactly you want to visit. You know, the funny thing too, Crystal has, people are always asking her about romantic things in Paris because she does do different types of groups. She'll do single shots. She's had women here doing things to celebrate a special occasion. She's had couples. We came here and did a girls trip. So there's all sorts of different things that she does, different angles with this. But one of the things that she told me is that everyone's always asking her about romantic Paris. And so she's developed her own magazine. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Oh, basically, just like you said, people were always asking me for advice and tips and places to go. So I was writing for other publications, and I thought, why not just start my own? So it's called Romantic Paris Magazine. It's an online magazine that's published bi-monthly. It works on your iPad, your computer, your phone, and there's articles about different places to go, uh, Paris alone as a woman, uh, couples, planning your trip. Also, I interview a different business every issue, and a woman who are successfully running different businesses here. Like next issue, we interviewed a woman who started a cupcake business here and what it's like to work with the French trying to sell them cupcakes, which they really don't understand at all. And it's just really interesting, all the different people that have started their dream jobs here and to hear their stories. We had such a great time with Crystal. The photos came out great. I'm going to give you her contact information on our hot sheet, but Crystal, where can people reach you directly? The best way to reach me is through my website where you can see more of my work, and that's www.romanticportraitsparis.com. And through there, you can contact me. You can look at more of my work and send me a message. Great. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. They don't always agree, but they always seem to have the reasons. Next up, Travel Brigade's countdown of their favorites from this week's show on He Said, She Said. Welcome back to Travel Brigade, your weekly travel and destination show. This is Kathleen Curry. Again, I am here with my special guest, Donnie, who is the owner and the founder of Girls Guide to Paris, which is a great website. It's where we got a ton of our information for this week's show, as well as a great tips and guides for doing our girls trip to Paris. This is the part of the show where Jeff and I usually do he said, she said, but today since Donnie's here, we're going to do a little she said, she said. We're going to talk about top things. So I am going to go with Donnie. Give me your top three things you have to do while you're in Paris. I, that's a, such a tough one, and I thought about it quite a bit, and I always have to pick a little bit out of the norm just because, I don't know, maybe that's just me. This is, the, the most mainstream thing I'm going to say is Notre Dame, and I talked about it before on the show, but I love the sense of peace that I feel in that building. It's just got history, peace, beauty. It has smells of incense. I always light a candle. It's just sort of, it's a great respite too after the kind of the whirlwind of seeing the city to just go sit in Notre Dame for 10 minutes. It just sets everything right. Um, and so I think even though it's one of the top, top sites in the world and, and actually gets more visitors, believe it or not, than the Eiffel Tower, it's also this incredible place of peace. So that's my number one. Um, number two is the Shakespeare and Company bookstore that I talked about before. Yeah. It brings you back to the 20 heyday of Paris. Uh, like It's kind of like walking into a Woody Allen midnight uh, in Paris movie and you feel like the ghosts of Ernest Hemingway are, are right around the corner there. You know, I would say that my third place is maybe the Rodin Museum, the Musée Rodin. The Rodin, uh, you know, is such an incredible sculptor but it's also the, the gardens are so beautiful and that was actually his home at one point and, in the, and Camille Claudel who is his mistress has some incredible sculptures there too and it's a great place to eat out in the garden and I'm cheating and I know it's not fair but I'm picking a fourth one because I thought <laughs> you know Notre Dame is history and spirituality Shakespeare is sort of the intellectual side of Paris at Rodin is art and romance and then food you got it you can't 
yeah. can't not say something. That's so the classic cafe that sort of, it's really a bistro that covers, like, everybody always loves this place, and it's not owned by a conglomerate, not yet anyway. It's called the Fontaine de Mars. It's actually where Obama and Michelle dined when they went to Paris, and it is the quintessential cafe, my husband's favorite place to go, and uh, be prepared. There's some great duck confit there, so. Oh, there you go. That's my, my unfair pick number four. Well, that's funny, because I was actually going to tell Andrew, you one of my picks was actually not just the eating in the cafe, but the ca- the street watching, sitting at a cafe yeah. on the street and enjoying the view, enjoying the people watching. So that was definitely mine. The next one I would have to say is kind of when in Rome, right? When in Paris, kind of just remembering sort of the fashion trends of Europe, fashion trends of Paris, you know, remembering your red lipstick for the day and, you know, lighter on the eye makeup, you know, wearing your, your fun little shoes and your flats and all this stuff. There's something about just kind of being in Paris and kind of blending in that way and having fun. And I would say my top pick is the Orsay. I love it. I wish mm-hmm. there was like no time frame at the Orsay. Um, I'm always just thinking, oh, I could pick up a few of those to take home. You know, I'll sell my house. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful? Just yes. one and maybe just one little Van Gogh. Yeah, I'm not a big, big Van Gogh. <laughs> just a petite one. But Donnie, thank yes. you so much for joining us today and tell us again where people can reach you and the website. Well, thank you. I think um, I hope you've had a great week I and uh, it was really, really fun helping you plan it. But it's Girls Guide to Paris.com and you can find us there. Perfect. Thanks for listening to Travel Brigade. Enjoy the trip and we'll see you next week. You have been listening to Kathleen Curry and Jeff Griffin on Travel Brigade. Connect with them on Facebook, Twitter and at TravelBrigade.com.